Welcome to the Human Conversation Podcast with Jules White, the real dragon slayer, author and entrepreneur sales coach. Tune in weekly for human conversation about business and sales. Enjoy business expert interviews, educational episodes, and virtual cuppers with entrepreneur business owners. So grab yourself a cuppa and enjoy. Here is your host, Jules White. So welcome everybody to the Human Conversation. We are episode 23 and I have a wonderful guest with me today. I have known this lady for, I think, maybe nearly two years now because she was one of the first people connected with me when I started my business. And yet this is probably, what, the first time I think we've actually spoken and it's on my podcast, so how exciting. I want to introduce to you all Clarice Lynn, and she is a marketing strategist. Hello, Clarice. Hi, Jules. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. It's a pleasure and a great honor to be on your podcast. Of like, yeah, as you say, we've known each other for a while, and this is the first time we are having a human conversation. I know, <laughs> how amazing is that? And we hang out on LinkedIn actually a lot together, a little bit of yeah. Facebook now and then, but actually LinkedIn yeah. is kind of where we really hang out together. So I kind of want to just help the audience to understand a little bit about you because actually you're a pretty amazing lady because tell us where you're from originally, Clarice. I'm originally from Singapore. Fantastic. And when it's did small you... Small little island, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's small. So where, where is it off? I'm not very good on my geography in, in the Asian side. Yeah. So where is, it, where is it near? It's near Malaysia. So everyone sort of either confused Singapore as part of China or sort of like somewhere and then they will be nodding their head because it's really small. It's basically like a dot on a map. Like you can't really see it. It's like if you're far away. And it has like 5.8 million people wow that's amazing that's amazing i love it so when did you come to the uk tell us about that little journey um i came here about it that's in 2010 2010 yeah, in march yeah i arrived here in 2010 march and you're very young so you would have been very young when you came to the uk <laughs> wouldn't you <laughs> the thing is I'm not as young as everyone would have thought like I don't think I was young because I was 29 when I came 29 where people would have got married and have kids you know <laughs> but I, I think that's still young to come to like a brand new country and could you speak English at that point yes I could because in Singapore we have like an English education system our first prime minister at that time he was educated actually in Cambridge Wow. And he decided to, yeah, he decided to go back and he felt like in order to grow Singapore, because we have uh, no natural resources, they decided like, okay, let's have this English education system. They basically revamped everything back in uh, 1982. And then we just have this um, education system that's in alignment with like the O levels and the A levels. So they actually send those exam scripts back then when I was taking those exams to Cambridge and then they mark it and then they send it back. Oh, that that's, was back then. That's wonderful because <laughs> then when you do come to the UK, obviously you've got that element of being able to speak the language and that's, that's a head start really, isn't it? That's really great, I think. So, so when you came to the UK, 
tell me what the dream was. What was the what were the intentions for coming to the UK? I think what I thought was has I mean like many people, young people were saying like, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. So I wasn't, you know, the conventional path as a lot of people would have, you know, followed the path like getting a degree. Back then it was like, you know, you get a degree and then you get a job and then you're going to get like promoted and you're going to find someone and then get married. That's like very traditional route. But then the thing is when I graduated, I think the population in Singapore, there was already like more um, supply than demand. So if you were born in the 60s and 70s and then you had a degree, it's considered wow, you know. But then when you graduate back then in like a 2000 plus, I mean, that's after 2000, it's basically like there was already a lot of graduates around. It's not, un it's not unusual to have a degree. I mean, it's the same thing now in UK itself. You know, it's not, it's not yeah, having a degree is just like a piece of paper, but might not get you a job. Yeah. So that was where I was. It's true, actually, because I, um, I was a 1960s baby. I have to say 1969, so I was almost a 70s baby. Let me put that in yeah. there, um, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, when, when I left school, I was only just 16. I didn't want to do any more education. I wanted to just get a job and earn money. And so the people who did go to university back then, it was very yeah. much to be a doctor or a lawyer or a surgeon, you know, so you didn't just go to uni. You went for a, a quite a high level specific type of mm -hmm. job and education. So it's quite interesting. Your point's very true, I think, from my experience. And I was on the other side of that. Um, yeah. So, so you came to the UK and what did you do job-wise when you got here then? What was the first kind of experience of the, your entrepreneurial first experience? So, so the thing is when I came here, I actually needed like a visa. So there wasn't much of entrepreneur, but what I did was I did actually get, go out to know a lot of people and their cultural aspects. Like, and then it sort of opened my world to realize like, do you know, there's not such a big difference between the East and the West as much as a lot of people would say. Mm. The thing is, um, especially in cities, people in Singapore is a city as well. So there was a bit of like overlap sometimes and people who come from uh, rural parts of like uh, maybe in Europe or like in England as well, there's a bit of the conventional mindset. So there's a bit of similarity and sort of like, yeah, I could sort of identify with some of them. Like one of my good friends um, is from Poland and then we talk about family culture and then I felt like, oh yeah, we can actually like connect. Okay, yeah. so back to the work story. <laughs> I got a bit sidetracked. So the thing is, um, the first thing was I had to look for a job that a company that could sponsor a visa. So you need to have like a visa. So what I did was when I came here, I couldn't really find like a job that was uh, based on the skill set I had in Singapore. It took me a while because every time a recruiter got on the phone with me, when they hear that, oh, you don't have a work visa, and then they'll just, you know, yeah, we'll get back to you. And then they never did. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, yeah. So there was like a timeline I set for myself, which was about three to four months I should get a job. And in between, I actually got like my first catering job, you know, canopies and um, drinks that like, get a big event. <laughs> yeah, that's Brilliant. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it was really interesting because, and then I realized, oh my goodness, like I can't be a good caterer because my hands were so weak. And then I could barely you know, carry the, the trays, which was like super awkward because I was worried I was going to drop the tray. So I was like going around and telling people like, stinking to myself, please get the food off from my tray <laughs> before I drop it. 
so that, so that was not what you wanted to do really then was it <laughs> no i think i was always stimulated by knowledge like back then even when i was in singapore i was always like learning new things i was learning like data analysis and like data mining mm. on top of the degree that i had which was a more it skilled and yeah and then when i managed to finally get this job i think i was meant to be here but i just had to like press on i sent over like over 100 cvs to sort of send out everything and then if it was in 2010 that was um the year after the economic crisis with the layman brothers yeah, yeah actually i wanted to come like the year before and then it sort of delayed to 2010 so i thought like okay you know let's just put in the best effort this could be the only chance let's just keep sending and then finally, I got a job with a Haymarket Media Group. And coincidentally, if you recall, that was when digital became a thing. And yeah. the publishers were going out of business. There were a lot of publishers back then going out of business. So it was like, actually, I think it was, I think I just fell into that spot, that gap. Because um, we were, back then, doing Google Analytics was something that was quite new. And doing digital, like social media, was sort of like when things were starting to pick up and mobile. You know, people were starting to buy mobile. Yeah. So there was a lot of things around there. And then I fitted into that part. And we did this big project, I still remember, about um, the mobile trends and social media trends in five years' time. And what uh, the publishing industry, or at least the company, was um, should actually change their strategy before they go bankrupt like everyone else. There was quite a lot of publishers going bankrupt and closing down back then. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and actually that brings us quite nicely onto the whole Google subject because mm. that's obviously where you're really now involved and where your knowledge is and, and kind of what you talk about on LinkedIn. You're, you're that thought leader in that space, aren't you? The kind of Google website, Google analytics space. Um, and I'd like to talk about that because uh, here's a question for you. Are websites dead, Clarice? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> I think a lot of people have these misconceptions. The thing is, the website itself is like a, what do you call it? It's like your shop front. Yes. You know? In a way, it's like it's open 24 hours. So if people want to find out more information and they can't get hold of you, I mean, unless you want to be on your phone 24 seven, that website gives people a chance to know a little bit more about you without you having to be on 24 seven. Mm. I think that's sort of like you want your shop to be there. You want to be found. So the yeah. thing about having a website, yep. Yeah, is about having, letting people have a chance to know you, what you do, you know, well, how can you help them? Yeah, definitely. And, it, and just a story, I'll add these little stories in for you because you'll like these things. So I worked for Yellow Pages for a while between kind of 1997 and 1999. Yeah? Yeah. I think you uh -huh. were probably very young then, Clarice. And yeah. we started to sell in that time domain names and we started to sell £99 websites. Uh, you know, it's so interesting when I think back, you know, because that was like, that was the next big thing. You know, I would go to companies to do their Yellow Pages adverts and you must know the Yellow Pages, I'm guessing, with them, which are no longer. We don't have those anymore. They've printed the last one. They're all gone. So I would sell these adverts, but then alongside it, all of a sudden, I could say, well, would you like a website? And they'd go, website? Well, we haven't got one of those. They're expensive. Well, I can do one for £99. And of course, all it was was like a one-page template. 
Um, and there was no Google and Google Analytics and all of that. It was literally, like you say, this kind of shop window. So bring us into kind of 2019. We've now got websites, but I feel like some of the noise out there says, well, websites aren't quite like they used to be, you know, because um, social media is kind of the place now. But you're right. Mm -hmm. You still need that reference place, don't you? So let's talk about if the listeners who are listening are thinking about their website and, okay, what should I be doing with my website in 2019? And what's the benefit of like the whole Google story? What, what are you going to say to us? What are you going to tell us, Clarice? So for in 2019, what you should do is if you can do both, you, I would definitely recommend to go for like videos and having like a proper blog. Yeah, you know, in-depth articles so people can, you know, come to your, will find your website because this is how people use Google. So as we, as you mentioned about the yellow pages, so when, in the past, when people were looking for services or products, they would flip the yellow pages to look for things, you know, in alphabetical order or in categories of the item. Like if you want to buy like, you know, um, saucepan or something, or maybe an oven, you would go maybe to the kitchen category and look for it. But these days, people don't look, don't search for the products like this on Google. They might, you know, look at like the dimension. So they will search by maybe the dimension or the type of oven that could serve their purpose, you know, what the oven can do, or maybe let's say the washing machine, maybe if they want a washing machine that can be a dryer. So they would search for things like that. So rather than, so you want to be specific answering people's like questions. Mm. So if they say something like, oh, you know, my, or maybe let's say like the toilet bowl sort of broke down or something, you know, what could possibly be the reason, or, you know, this is leaking, what could be the reason and what you can do before you ask for help or something or this is something I can help. So it's giving, answering those questions. So when people type it into Google and your website comes up as what Google feels that you're answering those questions, so you're more likely to appear on page one. And then when people click on you and then find your website and say, oh yes, this sounds like the problem that I'm having here. You know, this looks like this person can solve. Let, let me call them up. Let me book a call with them. Let come over to my house or something like that. So yeah. this is you know, what you want to do. So whereas on social media, it's slightly different in terms of social media because social media, people know them by brands. Typically, you know them by name. If they don't know your name, so it's also quite unlikely for you to show up. And if you post things on social media, it has a certain lifespan. It's, you know, everything that you post like two months ago just gets buried down in front of everything. It's not like on your website, you still have those pages, you know, listed there in order so people can still find it. things that are const, uh, needs to be constantly um it needs to be there like all the time so people can look look at it those first point of reference it's not news that's outdated in social media it's slightly it's a slightly different thing social media is meant more for like building relationships and having more of a conversation that's what we're yeah. doing right now yeah as we are and i love the way you've kind of um, explain that difference because it's so true you know using social media regularly I see that's what happens and that's another reason why you can repurpose your content so beautifully because like a couple of months ago people may have forgotten what you said and then you can bring it back in a slightly different way can't you but getting back to kind of the whole web piece 
I think my gaps in knowledge, if I'm really honest, are around my website. So I've got a website. It kind of serves a purpose. I think that my content is current. I think my branding now is in line with my branding. So I've done some, I've done that good work, but I certainly don't have anything in terms of knowledge on Google Analytics. Um, is my organic content okay? Could it be better? What, where do you start with all of this, Clarice, as the expert in this field? First, do you have Google Analytics set up? I do. <laughs> so, you can, so you want to start looking at if you're getting organic traffic in, in the first place, and then what are the different traffic sources coming to your website or how many people are coming to your website? So okay. that's something you want to start looking at. And if you're not getting organic traffic, which, so the organic traffic should somehow be in alignment with your revenue stream model. For example, coming from new traffic, like new customers and returning customers. So let's say, for example, if returning customers make up about 20% or 30% of your traffic, then you should have more of direct traffic coming in that area. And then you should have at least maybe 60 to 80, 75% maybe, or 80% of organic traffic because organic traffic means there are new people discovering you coming to your website yeah so you that makes sense mm. yeah mm. So, so having that in place and then the next thing is when you talk about i mean i talk a lot about creating like the content strategy blah 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 so that's where it comes in because we know everyone's on the website everyone has a website so you need to compete with these people to be on page one so the thing about creating content is you need to do some research so the question is research about topics that helps you sell your products. So you want to create content around those questions people are, people want, are asking about before they buy your services. So you want them to recognize you as the authority in that space. So, so in this case, you can, you can start doing some research on Google. There are a lot of different tools you can use to actually research on the different topics. And even just going to um, Google search itself, for example, if you search for a particular topic and then you see like how many different results that you have. So if there are more people already writing about this topic and their website is more established than yours, there is no way Google is going to recognize your website as the expert. Mm. So it's a bit of, mix between yeah your website uh the edge of your website and the content that you have on your website so for example like with sorry no go on. i was just yeah. i was just gonna say because i'm i'm listening intently because it's really interesting stuff um and i think that um one of the things is i guess i'm playing devil's advocate as we say i'm sure you're familiar yeah. with that term clarice well, if there's that much noise and it's that competitive, what's the point, you know? What, what's the point? What else could I do? I guess that's kind of like what I want to say to you. Because I don't want to keep, I don't want it to be time consuming and having to keep compete with all these, competing with all these others, so. So the thing is, it's all about creating quality content. I mean, I know it's sort of like overused. What, what do you mean by quality? Everyone talks about quality. So for one of my clients that I've worked with over the past year, so she was new to blogging. You know, she's, I mean, I'm starting to work on her YouTube channel this year, but she was new to blogging and she was busy working with her clients. She's not someone who like publish one blog post every week. You know, she doesn't have time for that. So what we aim for was, really quality stuff so that means that writing a very in-depth about a certain topic and then looking for 
adjacent questions or related questions to that topic. So you can actually write, you know, in depth about this area. So what happens is when you create in depth, which is like in Google's eyes, you need to be writing about at least 2000 words or more for each blog post. And it actually helps to create quality around that and also writing similar overlapping topics around and interlinking those blog posts. That's one of the most key parts. So having said that, like I've successfully built up a content strategy and she's ranking for page one for certain topics. So once you get traction on those topics, you leverage upon those and then build up from there. And then from there, yeah. So, yeah. It takes time though. It does, yeah. I was just, that's one of my next questions actually. How long does it kind of take to get this traction going with, with things like this? Yeah, so initially it should take about at least three to six months to start getting at least like one to two blog posts. Depends on how frequently you write. If you can produce something like 2,000 every week, well, awesome for you. If you're doing only once per month, it should take, would take up to three to six months to get to see something happening because, you know, Google has, is trolling so many websites. So it takes a while, you know, to come to yours. So you have to sort of like, yeah, build up on that. So it yeah. takes about that. So at the rate that I was working with this client, it took about like a year or so. I think it was even about six to eight months. We were getting like, there was one blog post that was getting a lot of Google traffic. So we, were, we went to about, about 80 people coming just from that one every day, coming for that blog post. And then as we built up authority in like a certain space, certain area, we sort of doubled the traffic now. So we're sort of like onto the next thing. To the next and, level so we're and that helps to get like inquiry people start checking out her products checking out mm -hmm. her services page trying to book like a call with her so that's where we are sort of getting it yeah that's really good and so all of this is organic we haven't paid for any of this we're literally just doing this organically yeah yeah just yeah. organically okay. yes next question um i've got lots of questions for you um <laughs> next question is your social media then important in terms of your ranking on Google? It is important, but it's not as important as your actual content. So that's like, so Google actually has about 200 ranking signals. So there's a lot of speculations going around and that's why there's so many experts and discussion because Google doesn't review a lot of them. Yeah. So they only review about the top, top three. So one is creating high quality content and having high quality backlinks so for example if you have like a, if you are connected to Forbes you know Reuters those established website that has content related to your website it can't be any random website and then it boosts your website's authority to say oh you know someone who is an expert in this area is linking to this website okay so this website is actually you know has is an expert in an area maybe not level 10 expert but you know maybe level one or two so you start to build up against yeah. that and that's yeah. why a lot of people suggest like uh guest blogging and things like that because it helps mm. and then you said there's three so what's the third one clarice the third one is uh called rank brain so it's uh, their ai algorithm that actually helps to associate certain words of um, similar meaning together and they say okay it's mentioning this word so it's about a certain topic and that's why Google's algorithm is slightly different from Bing. Bing relies more on the same word being used more often without, without overstuffing it. But Google is a smart, has a smarter algorithm. So for example, if you say 
um, let's say, I can't think of anything off my head right now. <laughs> like certain words that, um, let's say, for example, if you talk about maybe cooking or frying, it sort of falls into that same category of things. Yes. So, yes. So yeah, so it's sort of related in that way. So Google's algorithm is smart enough in that sense. It's so clever, isn't it? And then um, I heard the other day that Google um, own YouTube. Is that correct? Yes, Google owns YouTube. So <laughs> next, next question. Um, <laughs> is it great to build your YouTube channel? Oh, yes. <laughs> Which is one of my things I want to do this year. Obviously, I think I'm, I've probably mentioned it to you. So I really want to get vlogging and I want to put all my podcasts on video like we're going to do with this one and upload it to my YouTube. And I just really yeah. want to get my YouTube going because I understand that's a real benefit to then my ranking. Is that, is that right? Yes. Because I was just I was just reading this article the other day about um, even like baby boomers, a lot of them they actually rely on YouTube to find out information and they prefer to watch YouTube than reading something. So that's actually yeah the market over there in terms of video is actually growing because some people prefer to actually watch someone explain rather than reading just text. So it actually helps a lot in that sense. A lot of how-to videos work really well. Uh, it's, it's huge, isn't it? When you think, my son's 14. So we've got obviously terrestrial television, just our normal free channels and bits. And then we've got Netflix. And what he does is he goes onto Netflix and then can click into YouTube. And he literally spends all of his time when he consumes TV actually watching YouTube videos. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And he learns. He's always learning so much. Actually, what I like is he's watching stuff that's really educational. So I, I don't mind in a way. It's really good. But um, that's why I think the other thing I think is that well, my research suggests there's not a lot of female sales trainers who mm -hmm. are on YouTube doing regular yeah. stuff. So I'm like, yes, I've got to get on there and I've got to do some stuff. So. No, it's definitely good. I think there is a space for that. Because, um, yeah, I mean, even for those like LinkedIn as well, there's not a lot of those content. So there's a lot of other content, but like in this area, I think in sales, that's not, that's not too much. I think that's like growing. Yeah. And I think it will definitely be very beneficial, like for your brand. Yeah. So you will need to so. research those keywords as usual. Yeah. You still need keywords. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing is, right, uh, because YouTube, I mean, Google owns YouTube as well. So if your topic of, if your topic that you are putting in the video is actually related to like a search, it could also appear on Google search as well. So yeah. you know, it's a win-win situation. Yeah. So, so when you've done a video uh, on YouTube, actually the description and the keywords that you load up are really important, aren't they? By the sounds of it. Yes. And the th thumbnail as well. Yes. Yes. So tell me about that. What's, what, what does that need to be? Cause I'm making kind of Canva images for my thumbnail. Um, yeah. Is that the right thing to do or should there be something else going on with that? No, I think preferably with your face. I think at the beginning, that will be something that's easy to do. If you'll get started like your face and then like maybe with some of your brand colors, not too much words, but sort of just enough. And then some funny expression or some yeah. expression, different expressions. <laughs> it, it helps. I think at the beginning, that's sort of like what you should be aiming at. Tell us about things like Google Analytics, but also things like Google AdWords, because I think that's the next piece of the jigsaw mm -hmm. for us, isn't it? Yeah. 
So think about Google Analytics as if you leverage on the information in Google Analytics, you can actually use like things like remarketing. You can actually do remarketing to people who have already visited your website. So you show them again and then they might recognize your website, helps to build brand awareness or for them to like buy something. So Google AdWords is slightly different from, it works slightly different from the social media kind of ads like Instagram ads and Facebook ads. It's sort of like different intention because you have to go back to why people are using Google. People are going to Google to look for a solution, thinking of something that they want to buy, research on some piece of information. Whereas when people go on social media, it's meant to, oh, what's happening? So they want to see like new things or you know what's the trend kind of. It's not necessarily wanting to buy something. It's more mm-hmm. to engage in something and find out something new. So that's why the ads would work differently. And that's also why Google AdWords actually cost much more than like Facebook ads or like Instagram ads. Because they are sort of, I would call them like less warm, lukewarm leads compared to like warmer leads if it's coming from Google ads. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Back in the day, I'm going to go back again. Um, when we yeah. used to sell yellow pages, it was very much kind of that direct marketing. Somebody wanted something, so they were looking in the yellow pages. But things like radio and, um, you know, billboard advertising was what we call creative advertising. So it was just by chance you might see it, it might plant a seed. And then when you're ready to buy, you might remember it and go back to it. And I think that's the difference I hear between that social media advertising um, and the Google advertising. Do Do you think that's a good analogy? Definitely, I see. I think it's, yeah, it's a good one, actually. <laughs> it sort of fits into it. Because it's, in a way, like social media is more creative. People don't really intend to buy stuff. I think I remember, I mean, I've seen like other study before and I've also done it myself. Is for example, if you run like a Facebook ad and then you want someone to buy something that costs $100 or like $200, you might not really get any click because people don't really know you and it's actually quite a big commitment for them to do that. So, you know, however, you can do things like, for example, you can run an ad promoting like your blog post maybe and then this could be something interesting and then they'll come and find out something about you and then you could get them to opt into your website, you know, having like an email list mm. and then you get information and then when they get to know you better, they decide, oh yeah, actually this person or, you know, this business sounds like they have good products and good services that I might be interested to buy, you know. Mm. So that's when you sort of want to look at it. Whereas, like, for example, and that also ties in a little bit with, like, um, local search as well. Like, you know, when you have restaurants and stuff, like that, and people look for restaurants, it means that likely they want to call them and book a spa- space now. And that's also why, like, it's not, a, uh, it's not cheap as well. Because yeah. people want to, you know, go to that place and find out more about it. So you yeah. want to, yeah, do it well. Okay, so um, what sort of budget should I have in mind? I mean, is that, like... Uh, how long is a piece of string? Is that that sort of question? It's sort of, it's a tough question over here because it depends, it varies um, industry with industry and it also depends on your competitors at times. Because mm. if you have a competitor that has a bigger budget than you and is running bigger ads or you have to see like what kind of keywords because some keywords would be more expensive than other keywords. Mm. So, so that's what, the thing. What's the trick with keywords? Is there is there some kind of magic to actually a clever way to do keywords in your opinion? Yeah, you can go to AdWords itself and then look at the different keywords there and what's like the search volume and estimated costs 
and then you can pick those which you think would have highly uh, would be likely to convert. So there is no quick way to say, oh yeah, you know, when you do advertising, this is the amount, this is the one you spend. Because for different companies, what people don't realize is that different companies with different branding, with different messages, it works differently. Mm. I know that smaller smaller business might think less about, oh, we need to test. But the thing is, you need to test because a creative that works well for one business might not work so well for another business. So mm. you wouldn't know until you try. So there are some, sorry, there are some rules of time that you can follow, but ultimately there is no like, you know, one size fits all approach. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the very, very interesting thing about today, I think, is that it is much more complicated. It's much more of a saturated market. Therefore, you just have to be more clever. And the only way to do that is testing, as you rightly say, just to see actually what works well. So I think it's like a real investment of time and money, isn't it, to get this right? Yes. And if you have a competitor you know is doing really well, Check them out. Do yeah. research on them. See what's working for them. So yeah. you don't actually have to um, reinvent the wheel, which I think is very important because you know if you have limited time and resources, if someone is doing well, let's just find out why they're doing so well. See if there's something that's replicable for you, and then you sort of build it up from there. That's amazing. You've been so interesting to chat to, Clarice. Really interesting because I think. You explain everything really simply, and I think we do need that sometimes. I'm definitely not a massive techie, and actually, when I when it's too complicated, I shut down. You know, I really do. It's like, oh no, I can't take all that in. So it's been really interesting actually to hear some of those lovely tips that you've got just in that conversation. It was really useful. So how can people find you, Clarice, if they want to talk more to you? What, what's the best way to find you? I'll put the links obviously in the in the description of the podcast but how do we find you Clarice? Right so I have a website clarislin.com that's my website. Fabulous and Lin is L-I-N. Yes L-I-N yes yeah. that's my website and of course I have my Twitter I have on LinkedIn I'm on Instagram I'm also on Facebook yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think if you want to follow Clarice on anything, just definitely follow her on LinkedIn. She does some fantastic videos now as well on her, her, um, her content. Really yeah. interesting. Always well, subtitled as well, aren't they? So you can really follow. Yeah. Because I've actually started like a YouTube channel as well myself. So I have one YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. I started putting stuff so to, as repurposing the content. You've really created one piece you can put on like different platforms as well. So yeah, that's what I've started to do. And I'm also starting like another YouTube show myself. So that's yes. exciting. Yes. I saw that. I saw that the other day. I'm sure I did. And tell us quickly what that's about. Right. Um, it's about the hashtag is uh, become brave again. So it's called the CBA show, which is coming, becoming and aligning. That's a bit of like personal, um, this personal self-discovery, personal development, and a little bit of our backstory. Like we wanted to highlight people who have left their home countries and started from scratch in a new country. Like it could be starting a new business or you know, starting a new network, starting everything from scratch. And the challenges that they have gone through and the personal transformation and how does that affect them in terms of like integrating um, into like if their family, if their friends, and how 
it sort of like aligns with their personal values as well. So it's like a huge thing about that. Because moving countries definitely change a lot of your own mindsets. Like it's a huge transformation and we're super excited and we want to share these stories and inspire and motivate people for those who are going through a tough journey or who are going through a similar journey, wanting to move countries, hoping that they will find some good advice and maybe recommendations because we're also going to include what we would recommend to them, what they can actually do, what are the possibilities that are out there. This is brilliant because it must be quite a lonely journey for some people. So to find that kind of show would be really great to know there's other people who are supporting them and have been through things and can help them. So I love that idea. I think that's fantastic. So listen, I'm going to put all the links in the description. I'm going to say a massive, huge thank you, Clarice. I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you today. I really have. We must do another revisit some point later on where we just talk about some new stuff and other stuff that's going on because it's ever changing this world isn't it of digital yeah. it's ever changing yeah. um, yes. and I want to thank the the people who have listened to this because I think um if you have listened I'm I'm really sure you will have learned some new stuff I know I have so thank you so much for joining us um, and if you like our human conversation podcast then subscribe we're on soundcloud we're on itunes we're on spotify and we are also on youtube of course clarice because we're going to upload the video yes. side now aren't we so yeah. that's awesome. yes. so we love it we love it so thumbs up subscribe tell us what you think anything to just interact with us i love my podcast i love my guests even more and i look forward to seeing you again and also speaking to you again in episode 24 so it only remains to say, ta-da for now. You've just been listening to the Human Conversation podcast with Jules White. To find out more about the other work that Jules does, please visit her website, www.liveitloveitsellit.co.uk. And if you enjoyed the podcast, then please do leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy her show. Thanks for listening and see you next time.